So first, muscles are three types of muscles. We have three types of muscles in the body. And we have seen this in uh, tissues a little bit. Three types of skeletal mus I mean, muscle tissue, skeletal, cardiac, and smooth muscle. So we're going to focus basically in skeletal muscle for this study of the skeletal system, the muscular system. Uh, but let, then later when we get to the cardiovascular system and digestive system, probably we will study more about the uh, cardiac muscle and the smooth muscle. But for now, just focus on skeletal muscle. Although we're going to mention what are the differences between these type of muscles and some characteristics. So a skeletal muscle, to start, is a muscle that, as the name says, is attached to bones. It's attached to the bones and very close to the skin, most of them superficial, between the bones and the skin. And it's composed, skeletal muscle is composed, skeletal muscle tissue is composed by fibers. Skeletal muscle fibers. Now the term fiber, actually means cell for the skeletal muscle. When we talk about skeletal muscle fiber, we mean muscle cell. But this fiber or cell has special characteristics, as we will mention. We'll mention that in a bit. Skeletal muscle is voluntary. We can move it depending on what we want. We have con conscious control of this, the contraction of the muscles. And these contractions are very powerful, very quick. And also this muscle gets tired easily. But we get that explanation when we do the physiology, how this fiber or muscle fibers contract and what is the, uh, the chemistry that happens inside the, of the muscle fiber. Cardiac muscle is only found in the heart. That's the name is telling uh, that. Cardiac, just in the heart. But it is also, they share a characteristic with the skeletal muscle, which is the presence of estriations, estriations inside the cell, inside the fiber. Cardiac muscle is not voluntary, it's involuntary. We cannot control the contraction of the cardiac muscle. Cardiac muscle contracts, controlled by a group of cells, a group of cells that we call pacemaker. Specialized cells in the heart. Pacemaker sends impulses and controls the frequency at which this muscle contracts. Although the nervous system still controls the heart, but not voluntarily. There's a special part of the nervous system that regulates the rate and frequency of contraction of the cardiac muscle. And smooth muscle, also involuntary, as well as the cardiac muscle, and this is the difference with the rest. It's not striated. 
there is noise striations or bands running across the cell or fiber. Where we find a smooth muscle? Usually in organs, hollow organs, like digestive tube, stomach, urinary bladder, airways like the bronchi, trachea, respiratory airways. So the muscle shares all these characteristics mentioned here. Excitability, which stands for responsiveness. It means that the muscle fibers of the muscle cells are able to be stimulated. There are different types of stimuli, stimulus that can make the cells contract. That's what we call excitability. They respond to a stimuli. The second characteristic is called contractility, which means that they are able to contract. Contraction is defined as that feature by which the skeletal muscle fiber gets shorter when stimulated. Extensibility by which the fibers are able to be stretched. There are mechanisms inside the cell that work as springs, so it can be stretched. And elasticity, which is different than extensibility. Elasticity is the ability to recoil. When we stretch it and then let it go, it's able to recoil, that is elasticity. So these four characteristics um, are shared by all muscles all muscles because of their uh, physiology and the composition of the, uh, of the cell. The first characteristic, excit excitability, is a link with the nervous system because in order to be contracted, a muscle needs to be stimulated. And who provides the stimulus? The nervous system. And that's how the muscles will contract. The stimulus is generated by the nervous system. Now, going more to the skeletal muscle. The skeletal muscle um, and the muscle fibers, we say that the muscle fiber means cell, is covered by is covered by connective tissue. And connective tissue is wrapping all these muscle fibers, organizing them in bundles or fascicles. And that's the point of the connective tissue. And, and when we study tissues, we describe the connective tissue as that tissue that fills up spaces, organizes. Uh, it's in between the organs or other tissues. Well, here, the connective tissue support support the cells and provides organization and reinforcement to the whole muscle support. Now this connective tissue sheets, it's organized in sheets or layers, are three. They have specific names depending on where they are located and, and, and what they do. From external to internal, from the surface of the muscle, the outermost, the most superficial layer or sheath or connective tissue 
covering the muscle is called the epimysium. The prefix mysium comes from mis, myo, that means muscle, epi, above. Epimysium is the dense, irregular connective tissue that is surrounding the entire muscle, the entire muscle. And the next uh, labs, after we do the, uh, the first, the I mean, the, the second practical, we will get to the study of the muscles and we have the chance to go and see the muscles in the cadavers. And you will see how the muscles are covered by white layers. And that is epimysium, the one that is covering the whole muscle. The second layer is called perimysium. Fibrous connective tissue that is surrounding groups of muscle fibers called fascicles. The muscle fibers are organized in bundle fascicles and they are wrapped. These fascicles are wrapped by perimysium. And the innermost layer is called endomysium, which is areolar connective tissue surrounding each muscle fiber. So from external to internal, epimysium, perimysium, and endomysium. That's how it, uh, this looks. If we have this image of a muscle, and you can see that the muscle is attached to, to the bones by a tendon. And the whole muscle is covered by this connective tissue layer called epimysium first, the outermost. Now we make a transverse section to this muscle and dissect one of the fascicles. This is one of the fascicles. We see the perimysium wrapping the fascicle. That is the perimysium. And finally, the endomysium is between individual muscle fibers. If we dissect one of them, we will get this muscle fiber or muscle cell. In a transverse section of the muscle, and we can see this very easily when we see cuts of meat, steak, you can easily see these layers or all these fascicles. The ones that we see easily are the fascicles, even though they are they look small, but they are the fascicles. We are not able to see the muscle fibers with the naked eye. We have to go to the microscope. But uh, that's how the muscle fibers are organized in fascicles and all wrapped by layers of connective tissue. Attachments. The muscles, skeletal muscles, attached to bones. And those two places, those two places where the muscle attached to, they are called the insertion and the origin. We said this in joints already. And we said the insertion is that attachment to the movable bone. And the origin, the attachment to the immovable or less movable bone. That's what we define insertion and origin of a muscle, skeletal muscle. Now the attachments may be through a tendon, 
which is indirect, as in the picture we saw before. We saw the muscle connecting to a tendon, and this tendon connects to the bone. And if we remember from tissues, the tendon is dense, regular connective tissue. And it fuses with the periosteum of the bone, which is dense, irregular connective tissue. And there is a very strong attachment, the tendon with the bone. Although there is another type of attachment that the muscle may have, and that is called direct or fleshy, where there is no tendon, it's just the epimysium fusing to the periosteum or perichondrium of the cartilage. For instance, we have a muscle here in the chest called the pectoralis major that attaches to the clavicle. And this attachment to the clavicle, there's no tendon here. It's just direct. You see the muscle fibers, the epimysium following or fusing with the periosteum of the clavicle. There are some muscles that have three attachments instead of two, as the sternocleidomastoid. But still, each attachment fits the definition or of origin or insertion. May have two origins or two insertions. That's another view of the muscle, skeletal muscle organization at different levels. We see the, the muscle, the whole muscle is covered by epimysium, by epimysium. <clears throat> A fascicle is a bundle of muscle cells and it's covered by, wrapped by the perimysium. And the muscle fiber, and notice that we here write in parentheses, cell. Muscle fiber of cell is wrapped by or surrounded by endomysium. Now, some characteristics of the muscle fiber are seen here. Like, the muscle fiber is a very long, multinucleated cell. It's a very long cell that has many nuclei. How come it has many nuclei? What happens is during the development, the embryology development, uh, these cells of the skeletal muscle are individual cells. But then they get fused. They get fused in order to organize the different skeletal muscles. Like the biceps muscle, for instance, the muscle fibers are long, as long as from the origin to the insertion. So the whole length of a muscle, you have one muscle fiber, many muscle fibers in that, running in that way. So it's a very long fiber, that's the reason we call it fiber, but it's only one cell with many nuclei that came up as a result of the fusion of many, many cells. And this is the most important thing about the skeletal muscle. It has an striated appearance or banded. It has bands running across. If you see this, we can see that in the, under the microscope also. You see an individual muscle cell or fiber. You see striations, which are the bands, dark bands, light bands running across the cell.
some definitions and some uh, of the components of the muscle fiber. The muscle fiber, as we have seen, they are long cells, multinucleated, although they have a plasma membrane, but we call the plasma membrane of the muscle fiber with a special name. It's called sarcolemma. Is a plasma membrane of the muscle fiber. This long cell has a cytoplasm. In this case of the muscle fiber, we call it sarcoplasm. Skeletal muscle works a lot. A lot of activity, a lot of work, therefore a lot of energy. And to get a lot of energy, it needs a lot of fuel. Where we get the fluid, flu, uh, fuel from? From the glucose. And actually, the muscle fiber, the sarcoplasm, contains glycogen, which is the storage form of glucose. And that is located in the cytoplasm and special structures, inclusions, called glycosomes. A lot of work, a lot of energy, a lot of fuel, a lot of oxygen. They need high availability of oxygen all the time. For that reason, they have a special molecule called myoglobin in their cytoplasm that has the ability to keep oxygen for the use of the muscle fiber for longer. The difference with other tissues where they don't have this myoglobin. And the regular organelles that we see in a regular cell are seen also in the muscle fiber, like the endoplasmic reticulum. In this case, it's called sarcoplasmic reticulum. T-tubules, which are modified organelles. This is modified from the endoplasmic reticulum called T-tubules. And remember, in cells, we talk about the cytoskeleton. The cytoskeleton... We talk about fibers, a lot of filaments. Well, in this case, we have this myofibrils. Myofibrils are present in the cytoplasm of the skeletal muscle. And we will see that thanks to the myofibrils is that we see this appearance of estriations. Myofibrils are organized in a way that give that appearance. Myofibrils are filling up almost completely the cytoplasm. One muscle fiber has lots of these myofibers. And as it states here, about 80% of the muscle cell volume is myofibrils. Myofibrils give the appearance of bands or estriations. Sarcomeres are descriptions of segments of these myofibrils, which will be helpful to study the physiology. Uh, we'll see what a sarcomere is. Myofilaments are the components, are the inner components of the myofibrils. And we'll see what are those myofilaments are made of. They are made of proteins. 
contractile proteins, actin and myosin. So let's start describing these myofibrils, myofilaments, and then we'll see how these get interact, interaction and work for the muscular contraction. First, these myofibrils are composed by myofilaments give this appearance of estriations, estriations which are stripes composed by dark and light bands and they have a name, they, they are named as dark bands and light bands the dark bands are called A bands and the lighter is called I band. Here in the diagram we can see an A band will be here. A band And the I band will be the right next to it, I band. And it's seen as a light band because there is less overlapping of myofilaments here. The A band looks dark because there's a lot of overlapping of the myofilaments. And this is what we see under the compound microscope like the ones we have here. When we see a skeletal muscle, we see that appearance of estriations. Now, inside each of these bands, there are even more areas or zones. H zone is a lighter region in the middle of the dark A band. If you see the A band, there is an H zone here. And in the middle of the H zone, there is a line called M line, which is a protein that splits this area in two. And the I bands, in the middle of the I band, we have a Z disc or Z line, which is like this zigzag line. That's why it's called Z, which is also a different uh, type of protein there. We'll see more in the detail these A bands and I bands. Now, for now, A bands, dark, I bands, lighter regions. What is a sarcomere? Well, here we see more about the A bands and I bands. If you see this graph, an A band here in green, that is the area where you can recognize two types of filaments here. These are called the myofilaments. These purple filaments are made of the protein called actin, which are a thing they are called thin filaments or actin filaments. And these brown sticks or rods that we see here, that's a different filament. It is called thick filament or myosin. That's the name of the protein. So the A band is the area or region where we see overlapping of many filaments of actin and myosin, thin and thick. But the I band is that area where there is only 
thin filaments. And that's how it, it looks lighter under the microscope. A sarcomere. A sarcomere is the functional unit of the muscle fiber. Arbitrarily, we just determined this to be the area between two Z discs. So we have one Z disc here and the other Z line or Z disc here and the area in between all this area is called the sarcomere. That's a functional unit. And we will see when we get to the physiology that actually makes sense to determine these two Z discs because it's like, probably have seen these tools that we have to work out, like have two strings and two handles here and we just do this and we pull it and stretch it. Well, this kind of like that, it works like springs. And the places where we hold with the two handles will be the Z discs. And that's the logics of the muscular contraction. Well, myofilaments, there are two types, we have said, actin, myofilaments, and myosin filaments. The actin are the thin filaments, and the myosin are the thick filaments. They are arranged with uh, overlapping and all located between two Z discs, the actin, they are anchored at the Z lines or Z disc. And the myosins, the myosin filament, are connected in the midline. That's why the M line. So let's see again here. You see the M line, this protein is in the middle. And that's where the myosin, the thick filaments, are anchored to. Actin, thin filaments are anchored to both Z discs in both sides. More details about the structure of these actin and myosin. The thick filaments are myosin. And if we go more to the molecular structure of this myosin, the filament, the thick filament, is composed by many units, many units of protein called myosin. We have one individual, one individual component, amplified here below. And this myosin molecule has this structure. It has two heads and a tail. And notice in the two heads, there are two sites, two sites that are labeled as actin binding sites. Because those sites are going to attach to the actin at some point during the contraction. And there is another site for ATP, for ATP. And that neck between the head and the, and the long tail is a hinge region, which is flexible. So this is like the head, like one finger and the distal phalanx doing this, flexing the very tip. That head is flexible. And remember this, two sides for actin and one side for ATP because that will be uh, 
crucial for explaining how contraction happens. If we see one thick filament, we'll see many of these myosin molecules all bundled up, and we can see myosin heads, just the heads, protruding like this. How about the actin? The actin is a thin filament, and it com is composed by many subunits, many subunits, the, the, the red, I mean the purple, uh, little balls, all like beads. Those are the subunits of actin. And they are arranged in a helix. They're all twisted. But all these beads of actin, they have two more. There, there are two more, uh, two other proteins as components of the thin filament. Do we see that like a long yellow fiber? called tropomyosin, tropomyosin, and some yellow units located at certain distance from each other called troponin. So that, those are the components of the thin filament. Now notice that uh, these purple beads, they have sites. And here below we have this individual subunits showing those active sites for myosin. So the myosin heads will interact with the actin at these sites of the, um, of the myosin. But also notice this, notice that in this picture those sites of all these beads, the actin subunits, all these sites are covered by the tropomyosin. At some point, this tropomyosin will move, will move aside, exposing those sites, so the myosin can interact with it. We'll see that in the in the next slide. So that's the structure of the thick filaments and thin filaments, the molecular structure of these uh, myofilaments or filaments. Other components of the muscle fiber. Let's talk about the sarcoplasmic reticulum and the T-tubules. Sarcoplasmic reticulum is endoplasmic reticulum. And if you remember from the cell review, there are two types of endoplasmic reticulum, rough endoplasmic reticulum and smooth endoplasmic reticulum. The rough endoplasmic reticulum is related to protein synthesis. The uh, smooth in the plasma reticulum uh, is related with the production of lipids, other substances, storage of other substances. Or in this case, the sarcoplasmic reticulum is smooth in the plasma reticulum. And they are surrounding all these myofibrils. It's a network of sarcoplasmic reticulum surrounding all the myofibers as we see in this graph. In blue or purple, we see all surrounding the, the myofibers. What is the function of the SR or sarcoplasmic reticulum? It stores and releases calcium. 
which is very important, is essential for the muscular contraction. Sarcoplasmic reticulum stores calcium. It takes care of the calcium in the cell. It makes sure that it's enough amount of calcium inside the cell at all times for a good muscular contraction. In the graph, we see the all this purple network, sarcoplasmic reticulum. And there is another thing called T-tubule. The T-tubules, let's see another picture. T-tubules, what it is, is, a, is an extension of the sarcolemma. It's an extension of the membrane of the fiber that gets deep, that gets deep and very close to the sarcoplasmic reticulum. And it's located between two areas of sarcoplasmic reticulum called terminal cisterns. And the T-tubule plus the terminal cistern will make up this area called triad. Terminal cister next to a sarcomere and T-tubules, they make up this triad. We'll see how this looks in the picture. Here, we'll see it better here. See the myofibrils? We see all these bands that we have described. And we see the tubules of the sarcoplasmic reticulum surrounding all the myofibrils. Now here we see a triad. The triad is composed by a T-tubule, which is shown here as this light region in between two parts of the sarcoplasmic reticulum. The terminal cisterns are actually parts of the SR. And so this portion of the SR right next to the T-tubule, there are two, the T-tubules in the middle, there are two cisterns in both sides of the tubule. That's what we call triad. Two terminal cisterns in both sides of a T-tubule. And a T-tubule is an extension of the sarcolemma or plasma membrane. What is the rationale of this, how this works, and why this triad arrangement? Well, what happens is explained here. Remember we said at the beginning, excitability, main characteristic of the muscle. The nervous system has to stimulate the skeletal muscle for contraction. Well, the nervous system works in terms of electrical impulses. And the electricity, the electrical impulse, comes from the nerve and it hits the muscle fiber in the membrane. And that electrical impulse stimulates the membrane, the sarcolemma. Since T-tubule is an extension of the sarcolemma, well, that electricity spreads along the T-tubule and gets inside, gets deep to the inside of the cell. And the T-tubule happens to be right next to the sarcoplasmic reticulum. So that same electricity or electrical impulse spreads now to the SR membrane. And what happens in the SR? Well, the SR contains calcium. That stimulus will cause release of calcium.
from the sarcoplasmic reticulum. And that calcium is essential for muscular contraction, as we said. So that's the rationale of this triad, T-tubule, right to the terminal systems, because it's going to stimulate the sarcoplasmic reticulum to release calcium. Questions to this point? Now let's see the contraction, how the contraction happens. Well, there is something called cross bridge. What the cross bridge is, is that attachment between the myosin head and the acting site. You see in that picture, the myosin heads are shown in red and they are attached to the actin subunit in yellow here. When that happens, that attachment is called cross bridge. But the contraction of the muscle happens because cross bridges occur. The myosin attached to the actin. And since, remember we said the myosin molecules are flexible, they have a flexible hinge, a flexible neck. So the myosin is actually doing this, making like this movement with my forearm and hand. Imagine that the hinge is in my elbow. So this cross bridge will be the head of the myosin, like my hand will attach to the actin and they will keep doing this. And with that, the actin will slide over the myosin. And that means shortening of the length of the muscle fiber. That is in three words how the muscular contraction happens. Thanks to the myosin, cross bridge, flexion, and it slides the actin over the myosin. And that is in one. Imagine that happening in every single myosin head and many times like this, and then we have the muscular contraction. Now let's see how this happens to the detail, because there are many steps involved in that process. This is the effect. This is the effect, and you notice here two states. Contraction here, this is a contracted, and this is a relaxed muscle. The sarcomere here, this lung, sarcomere here behind. It gets shorter. That's why we call sarcomere the functional unit because that's the one that gets shortened, length, as the effect of the muscular contraction. Notice another thing. In the relaxed state, there is this overlapping between the actin and myosin. But notice in contracted state, the overlapping portion of the actin and myosin is much bigger. And that is like my fingers, like interlacing this way, just overlapping about the tips, but then during the contraction, it gets like that. That is all about the muscular contraction. How that happens? Well, the myosin heads are doing this in both directions, making it closer. So this happens several times, as I said. The cross bridge attachment is not only one. It forms and gets loose and it attaches again several times, several times. And each time, it brings the actin closer to the middle. 
more overlapping and muscular contraction. Now, let's describe this to more detail, mentioning crucial steps, and crucial parts, essential parts of the muscular contraction physiology. There must be four steps, four steps um, so the muscle can contract. First, we mentioned this, there must be a nerve stimulation, so the nervous system has to send the order first. There must be an action potential. What is an action potential? It is the electricity. It's the electrical stimulus that reaches the membrane of the muscle fiber. It hits the sarcolemma. That's what it's called here. It's generated in the sarcolemma because what happens is that electricity is produced by the neuron, the nervous system, and it comes down. It hits the sarcolemma, and another action potential is generated there at the sarcolemma. But it's still electricity. And that action potential spreads along the sarcolemma. T-tubule is an extension of the sarcolemma, therefore the action potential gets deep, stimulates the sarcoplasmic reticulum, which will release calcium. Steps one and two is happening in the junction of the nerve and the muscle. And that's called neuromuscular junction. That's what the nerve connects to individual muscles. And three and four is a link for the contraction. So we call that excitation-contraction coupling. The link. Excitation, action potential, contraction. Calcium will do its job making the myofilaments slide over each other. This picture is showing some steps of this process. Step number one, the nerve, the nerve stimulation. This blue structure is an axon. The axon is a part of the neuron that brings all these action potentials. So we see the axon connecting to the muscle fiber. This is what we call neuromuscular junction, that connection neuromuscular junction, the connection between the nerve, the axon, and the muscle fiber. Now, if we get, we'll make a section to see what's happening there in that junction, then we'll see it here in this side. The axon terminal connecting to the membrane of the muscle fiber. What's going on here? Well, that electrical signal comes down and will stimulate these vesicles containing ACH. What is ACH? Acetylcholine, a neurotransmitter. That neurotransmitter is released. We see the red circles here being released to this space between the axon and the membrane of the muscle fiber. Well, those uh, neurotransmitter molecules will stimulate receptors shown like the blue rods on the surface of the membrane. They will stimulate these receptors. And these receptors 
will open sodium channels. Sodium will come inside the muscle fiber and that will generate the action potential in the sarcolemma. Electricity. The electricity will spread along the membrane and we see it here spreading into the T-tubules and then the T-tubules are very close to the sarcoplasmic reticulum here and that stimulation here will cause calcium from the sarcoplasmic reticulum be released to the cytoplasm of the cell. And what's, what the calcium is going to do is it's going to attach to these proteins of the myofilaments and we'll see what happens now in the myofilaments. Action potential, spread into tubule, sarcoplasmic reticulum releases calcium. Myofibrils, myofilaments are in the cytoplasm, so when the calcium is released, it will be in contact with all these myofibrils and filaments. Now the next step is the process of sliding of those myofilaments, the contraction. Calcium release will lead to contraction. The calcium is so important for contraction that there are two situations called hypocalcemia, which means low levels of calcium in the blood, and hypercalcemia, which means high levels of calcium in the blood. Well, a situation sometimes that we see is that babies are born with hypocalcemia, low levels of calcium in the blood, but different reasons. And those babies, when they are born, they don't have movement at all. At all. They are like completely relaxed. They cannot contract. You know, baby was born, it's kicking and moving their arms and legs, but these babies are just flat, all flat. And what do we do? We give them calcium. We get an IV infusion with some calcium, and in some minutes the baby starts moving, contracting the muscles. And the other situation is hypercalcemia, and the high levels of calcium. Also, sometimes babies are born with hypercalcemia. And in that case, the babies are all contracted like this. And there are other treatments for that, and the calcium is reduced, and the movements are uh, normalized. So that's an example of the importance of calcium leads to muscular contraction. So what happens? Cross bridges is very important for the muscular contraction. They're actually the first step in the sliding of the fibers. Well, here we see the first uh, step here. We see the actin filament. And all these sites for the myosin head are covered by the tropomyosin filament. All of them are covered. This is in a relaxed state. When the calcium is released from the sarcoplasmic reticulum, calcium is available now in the cytoplasm, so there where these actin filaments are. 
Well, the calcium is going to bind, calcium is going to bind troponin, that other unit that we see in the zinc filament. Well, when the calcium binds troponin, it causes a configuration, a conformational change in those molecules, and the tropomyosin fiber will move aside, will move aside, exposing the myosin binding sites. And we see them now exposed. And the myosin heads are right there. As soon as they are exposed, the myosin head will attach to them. That's what the calcium does. And then we hear the other. See, we see here the other steps um, of how the myosin head will interact and the muscular contraction happens. Well, let's start here. Number one, we see the myosin head connected to the actin site. Calcium is working, it's interacting here and pulling the tropomyosin away, so these sites are exposed. And notice one thing, here we have ADP plus phosphate. ADP plus phosphate, remember the myosin head has another site for ATP, well, there's always ATP here. ATP, and um, it is actually, uh, the ATP is, broken down in the components, ADP plus phosphate, but they remain attached to the myosin head. So the, the, the cross bridge occurs, and as soon as this happens, the next step, what we see is the release of ADP plus phosphate. When this happens, when the ADP plus phosphate, they are separated from the myosin head, the myosin head will change its configuration and will bend. It will bend. And since it's connected to the actin, that movement will move the actin and slide it over the myosin filament. That movement here, that bending, is called power stroke. That's called power stroke. Now after that, that myosin head, to keep moving the actin, it has to make this, well, one movement, but then it has to detach and extend again, grab another segment of actin and pull it back again. It's always doing this all the time, many times. So to, de to be detached from the actin, the myosin head, it has to bind a molecule of ATP. So when the ATP binds the myosin head, a new ATP, well, the myosin head will get detached from the actin. Will get detached from the actin, and the next step will be that the ATP will be broken down into their components, hydrolysis of ATP. And now we see ADP plus phosphate. When that happens, that head, that head will go back to the initial position, and that is called the cocking or the myosin head. It's like when you're cocking a gun, exactly like that. It's ready to shoot. And now we're back to here. We're back to the first step, which will depend on the exposure of binding site 
of the actin. So the cross bridge may happen again and we get into the cycle again. So important things about this, the power stroke is the movement of the myosin head that determines the contraction, the sliding of the filament. For the power stroke to happen, the ADP plus phosphate has to be released from the myosin head. ATPs are used here so the myosin head can detach and be ready to engage again for continuing sliding the filaments. So ATPs are used every time that the myosin head makes this, detaches and makes this, detaches. Every time the myosin head detaches, ATP is required. Imagine the amount of ATPs that are needed for a muscular contraction because here we see in only one myosin head, there are many, many myosin heads in each of these myofibers and imagine the whole muscle. So it's amazing, the, the number of amount of ATP that is needed is amazing for a muscular contraction. Rigor mortis, what is rigor mortis? Rigor mortis is a state of contraction or sustained contraction of the skeletal muscle and we see that after death, on three, four hours after death, and this is something that we use in forensic medicine to determine the time of death of a person. When people, experts in uh, forensics, they come to a crime scene, find a dead body, and one of the questions that arises is, when this person died? And how many hours ago that person died? And so if we've arrived to the crime scene and we find the dead body and its skin is cold, but we are able to move their limbs and the body is soft, you can bend the joints in this way, in a very uh, loose. Well, we can say that person died recently, like one hour, two hours ago. But if we find the body and we cannot move, like let's say the person is laying flat on the floor and we try to bend the knee, I mean the, the elbow, we lift the hand and we get the whole upper limb like this. We try to bend the elbow and it's not possible, it's stiff. So that means that that person died probably three or four hours ago, less than six hours, between three and six hours I would say. And that's the way they determine the time of death. There are other signs, I mean, the skin color, some spots that show up after some other hours and uh, they can say, well, this person died 10 hours ago, 12 hours ago. And that stiffness is called rigor mortis. The peak of rigor mortis usually happens after 12 hours of death. And why is that rigor mortis happening? That is explained on the physiology that we just studied. Because after death, there's no more ATP no more production of ATPs. And the calcium, and the calcium levels increase in the cytoplasm. And since cells are dead, the calcium is not returned to the sarcoplasmic reticulum, it remains around the myofibrils. And it is exposing the actin sites all the time, they are exposed. Cross bridges are formed 
So all the myosin heads are attached to the actin. And then, besides, to detach the cross bridge, we need ATPs. No more ATPs are produced. So the myosin heads will remain attached, engaged to the actin, and cannot be detached. That is the reason why the body is stiff. And the muscles will remain contracted. But then there is a point at which if you find the body like 24, 36 hours or 48 hours after death, then that rigor mortis is not there anymore. At least the body is not so stiff. In other means, if you arrive to the crime scene 10 hours after that, you find all the upper limbs stiff. Uh, but if you observe that body, and that is seen later on when these bodies are brought to the morgue, and, and after 48 hours, if they're still there, you can move the upper limb and you can bend the elbow to a certain point. Not completely, but you see the difference. Now it's loose, it's not so stiff. Well, that is because decomposition, denaturation of proteins. Those myosin heads are getting decomposed and broken down. The heads are starting to, broke, to break. And uh, there is some detachment now that is happening because of decomposition of the proteins. And, and that is also taken account. If we find the body like 36 hours, 48 hours after death, rigor mortis is not there. It's not so stiff. But there will be other signs. Of course, after that time, there are signs of decomposition, decoloration of the skin, and other, and other things. And you can see many, this, this picture is from one dead body that this person died in that position, and then was brought to this table, and the arms remain like that. You cannot put it back. That's rigor mortis. You cannot move, it's just like a, all stiff or rigid. Then, hours after, you can um, uh, loosen it up and uh, put the limbs back to their uh, regular position. Okay, questions, comments to this point?